It's longer time. Yay! Yay. Lager Time, Poems, Stories and Thoughts By me, Paul Cree Who else? Yeah Greetings, bonjour, what's happening? Yes indeed, it's Lager Time At last Lager Lights of Lagerland Unite We are back in the game mate for anyone new, or those that don't know, my name is Paul Cree, and Lager Time is a place where I share my words. These words mainly come in the form of stories, sometimes autobiographical, semi-autobiographical, increasingly fictional, often deluded, sometimes humorous, occasionally absurd. I also like to write poems, plays, and I produce music and rap. And going forward, I'll sometimes be sharing my thoughts on a few things too. Lager time is the vehicle, lager is the way, lager is the truth, and yes, I like lager. I'm based in London and live in the big UK. I used to perform a lot, mainly jumping between theatre and spoken word, sometimes music, sometimes all three at the same time. I don't do it so much anymore, no particular reason, it's just how it is. Lager time came about because I've always had a load of stuff which I've never quite known what to do with. So I started sticking it up on here and I really enjoy doing it, particularly in the audio form. It's good to be back though. Took a little hiatus, which took a little longer than expected, but here we are. It's September and I've got Betty Swallows from all this unexpected sunshine, but it's a new season. And I've got a fresh pencil case packed full of heat with a load of silly stories I want to tell my mates about, which in this case is you, dear listener slash reader. As previously mentioned, I took time away for it so I could concentrate on getting this course finished and writing this play I was involved with. Both of those things are now done. All my coursework is submitted. It's now in the hands of the moderators. And the play called The Big House did a small tour in London in August, which went well. Now that's out of the way, I can focus on some lager time business. So to kick things back off again, I thought I'd share the final story from the Satellite Stories, which is a small series I wrote all closely based on my experiences growing up in the satellite towns of Hawley and Crawley. I recorded this back in February, but then everything got nuts with work. I got way behind on my course. So it was then that I decided to put it all on hold and focus on what I needed to. From next week, I'll be sharing the first in a new series of a fictional character I'm working on called Reese and his adventures in London. So there will be less of the autobiographical stuff for now. But more on that next week. In other news, despite mentioning above that I don't perform much anymore, I will be doing a set of poems in London on the 29th of September at the excellent Poetry and Papa Doms at Caramel in Wood Green. I'm on the lineup with Simon Munnery, Kareen Harb, all hosted by the legend that is Paul Lyles. It's a great gig, good food, drinks, vibes and well hosted. If you're in the smoke, come on down. If you like what I do, Tell a friend, subscribe wherever it is you listen or read. I've got a book of older stories and poems called The Suburban, 
And my most recent music project is called Toasting the Machine, a small five track EP, which you can stream. So without further ado, let's get into the story, which is called Magiza the Machine. Enjoy. Peas and taters. What else you gonna do? What else you gonna do? Probably not a lot. <laughs> and guess what? I'm fully independent. Meaning I'm fully dependent on friends and family. Wanna do a show when I buy the venue will be empty. Say to the century. By the end of it, I reckon it's fair to say I enjoyed middle school, Notre Dame. The end bit at least. Got to year 8, the final year, top of the school with all the high ranking status that came with. Unless you were a prick. I had some good mates, I've made it into the B team for football and was on the basketball team. I was playing drums in a band. I'd had a small part in the school play as a pickpocket. There were even a couple of teachers that I liked, and most of the pricks I disliked had left, including teachers like Mr. Guppy. Prick. Can't say I had much attention from any chicks, of course, but there were a few I got on well with. My teeth were still estate, and I was still very self-conscious about it, but I finally got an orthodontist appointment. Much like most good things, it had to come to an end, in both senses of the word. I'd completed my four years and was about to make that giant leap into the oppressive concrete blocks of secondary school, St. Wilfrid's, which was daunting enough. But the school itself was coming to an end and closing down. Aside from the highs and lows of Euro 96 and Crawley's very own Gareth Southgate P-rolling some lame penalty into the German keeper, but understandable, he went to Hazelwick. I had that dull melancholic feeling in my tummy that whole summer. Anytime I thought about my old school, that sludgy feeling would slowly seep into my tummy as if someone slipped a bag of dirty sand into a hospital drip and I'd feel all heavy and lethargic. It had just got good and now I had to start all over again. I weren't the coolest, the hardest or the smartest, but I was doing alright, a lot better than when I started. I consoled myself with the fact that at least I now had a mountain bike with 18 gears mate, which meant I could ride to Rich's house, who lived right near Notre Dame, our now old middle school. Like most things in that area, and from that period, any patch of green or bit of wasteland was sought after, either by the Irish traveller communities, who could appear and set up camp at any moment, or whichever property developer was next in line to build a load of identikit boil-in-the-bag housing estates, which is what Notre Dame had been earmarked for. They didn't care they were building on hallowed ground, which actually weren't too far from the truth, 
as the school was originally a convent. Having a bike opened the world up for me. Being isolated from my mates in Hawley was frustrating, but now I had a bike. I could ride all the way straight down the Balkan Road five or so miles up the fire-burning pound hill just past Notre Dame and burn round to Riches in about 45 minutes. It was a game-changer, mate. So I spent a lot of that summer and into the autumn hanging around this gaff. Must have been half term from the new school as we had a day off and one time we were chilling up at Rich's house with VJ and Pidge. Rich was regaling some recent escapade about breaking into Notre Dame, our old school, via some skylight on the hall roof which led into the kitchens or something, then going on to cause mayhem. I naturally assumed he was bullshitting. He was known for that. But when he led us round to see for ourselves and climbed through a hole in the fence and all of a sudden we were onto the old upper playground, I knew he weren't messing about. It was like we'd never left. It was strange. Only a few months ago we would have been trying to play football on a playground where multiple other games of football were also being played at the same time. Balls pigging about all over the gaff like a bunch of pinball players all playing on the same machine with their own pinballs. Groups of kids hanging about, maybe the odd fight going off. Groups of girls just chatting, nerdy kids playing pogs with all their keychains and figurines hanging off their trousers. Now though, it was a ghost town and weeds were already growing in the cracks. But that didn't stop the memories flooding back or the feelings resurfacing. Rich explained that to get in, you had to climb up this drain pipe by that little patch of grass where I once got done by this tough kid, Sam Chambers, after foolishly starting on him. After you'd shimmied up the drain pipe, you were on the roof of the old Year 6 cloakrooms where I once done Liam Flanagan in my only other fight. 50% win ratio. That's championship form. Surely? Boy, boys, do you remember when I done Liam Flanagan in the Year 6 cloakrooms? Nah. But I remember when you got done by Sam Chambers, he was a pussy. Shut up. The cloakroom roof was lower than the main hall roof where the skylight was, which in turn was lower than the main building roof. I looked at Rich. Fair play. He was talking the talk. Rich was known to push his bullshit almost a breaking point, like the cheap fabric they used on those ball strangling tight maroon shorts they used to make us wear for PE. But I was quite impressed when he scrambled up the pipe and got himself up onto the roof, no ripping the shorts this time. He seemed like he knew what he was doing. That's why he was acting alpha. I went up next, and got up fairly easily, though I was really nervous about climbing, worried I might fall or the pipe would break. I was quite pleased with myself, as me and Rich now had to help VJ up, which sort of put me in the muscle bracket of the group at the very least solidified my position as second in command. VJ was so skinny kids called him Twiglet, which probably also had some derogatory racial connotations. Then there was Pidge, who was called Pidge because he was plump like a pigeon. He was sensitive about his weight and sometimes I'd feel guilty about calling him fat, but we all had to haul that tubby prick up the pipe and he was heavy, with a bad attitude. He managed to get his new check shirt ripped in the process which pissed him off and he blamed me for it, even though we were all collectively to blame which pissed me off. 
He didn't say nothing to our acting alpha, Rich. I was higher up in the hierarchy than Pidge, surely, at least number two in this little firm. Where was the respect? Fat prick. The next part was a simple bit of using the upper body to haul yourself up onto the roof. Even Pidge managed this, man boobs acting like a cushion when his torso hit the brick gravel and tar. I turned around and looked out, feeling like some sort of MacGyver. MacGyver. Laughing in the face of danger and brushing it aside, like that empty penguin wrapper casually falling out of my pocket and floating to the ground where we just stood, queuing up to ride the drainpipe, admiring our figurative and literal ascent to something greater perhaps. I was expecting that big panoramic view of Crawley and beyond, with some life-affirming moment to follow. But my vista was blocked by the main building, which was even higher and too high to climb. Alas. It was cool, though, and the gag on the penguin wrapper played that role of wisdom provider, something about a nun rolling down a hill. I'd never been on a roof before. This was cool, exciting, and scary. Rich then led us to the skylight, which had been boarded over with like this wooden box encasing it, as had all of them. But this one must have been prized away from its fastings with a crowbar or something because all Rich did was lift it aside and lo and behold, the prick was right. There was a drop down right into the old kitchens, like we were staring down into a well that was a portal into some sort of magic wonderland of mindless, unsupervised adolescent destruction. We'd arrived. One by one, we helped each other down, letting the legs hang, then dropping to the floor. Pidge, of course, taking a little longer. VJ was scared about dropping onto the kitchen tiles. Once Pidge got down, all of us grabbing his legs, we were in, breaking and entering, trespassing. But in our old school, which we still saw as ours, so like maybe it didn't count. It was being demolished anyway. On first view, there was broken glass everywhere, and despite the permanent marker in my pocket, with the intention of scrawling my shit tag, Luna, anywhere I could, I was a bit upset about all the graffiti on the walls. Who were these vandals? Vandalising my school? Pricks. I'd never ventured into the kitchens before. They were pretty big. The smell was recognisable though, that stale old powdered potatoes and cheesy feet smell, instantly bringing back the memory of having to do PE, directly after lunch with that prick, Mr Guppy, barefoot and treading in bits of food, mutant mashed potatoes and boiled to death carrot, potato-less chips and semi-prozen peas that hadn't been swept up by the lethargic workforce of misanthropic old boilers, large-up Pamno. She always had a smile and didn't take any jib off the Larry kids, like Kells. There was random old bits of equipment everywhere. I was a bit saddened by it all, yet excited and not really knowing what to do. I had this Molotov energy coursing through me and this was only the kitchens. VJ was already getting busy tagging his own name on the wall. I had to step in and say something. Mate, what are you doing? Someone could trace you or something. Shut up, you knob. Like who? Like, like, the old Bill or something. So the pigs are going to look at all the writing on the wall 
and try and figure out who I am. Yeah, like, police can do loads of stuff. They've got computers and, and DNA and that. My eyes scanned a bit of scrawled graffiti next to VJ's that read, Kelly is a slag. I was thinking that Kelly wants to be careful. The old bill could come for her too. But easily persuaded, took VJ's lead and got to work with my very own tag, Luna. By now firmly in secondary school, I dedicated many a lesson, carefully constructing the outline of the letters to make it look like the Batman sign, whilst whatever was being taught sailed by way over my head. It was that or look out the window. I was really proud of it. The shit. Whilst I still saw Pidge as lower down than me in our little firm, I couldn't say anything back to him there. He was actually sick at drawing and quickly proceeded to do up some cartoon mural on the wall of some sort of rapper like a fat Rolf Harris. Who's that? I said. Who's that? It's Tupac, you dickhead. Yeah, yeah, I love Tupac. Yeah? What's his biggest track? Ah, oh, like that one with, um, what's his face? The dog guy. You're a dickhead. You don't know anything. Shut up. I know some Tupac stuff. Snoop Doggy Dog. That's what I meant to say, and I did like Tupac, but it was too late, I froze. Had to hand it to the fat prick, he'd outdone me, twice, and in the process doubled the size of his own balls. Spoilt fat prick had MTV though, he'd seen the videos. Naturally, he headed over towards Rich, who was investigating something, as my dopamine levels dropped lower than the Las Vegas water table, which we'd recently learned something about in geography, which I found vaguely interesting, so I had learned something in secondary school. There was some office in the corner of the kitchen where Rich was standing which had these windows with black wire squares inside so you couldn't really see into it, like what they had on the outside of the old staff room. Rich had found some stones and was throwing it at the glass. He'd managed to crack a bit, shortly joined in by Pidge and Vijay who started foraging around looking for anything they could luzz at it. I wandered into the old school hall. It was as eerie as it was dark but enough light was seeping through the boarded up windows to make everything visible but like a fading photograph. It looked like it had been abandoned. Well, it, it was abandoned. The basketball boards were still up on the walls and the gym bars had been pulled out. There was crap everywhere, like it had been ransacked. Well, it probably had been ransacked. I found some sort of small stage weight which was proper heavy and headed back into the kitchen. Watch this, boys. They stood back and I threw this thing with all my might at the window with the square bits inside and it smashed right through. But only creating this little hole roughly the same diameter as the stage weight. That must have been what those squares inside were for. Don't know if it was dopamine, but something inside me went Niagara. I just broke a window. It felt both exhilarating and depressing at the same time. An image suddenly flashed into my head of all those old kitchen boilers looking upset like I just pissed on their aprons and they still had to wear them while serving up the dried mashed potatoes and baked beans to a load of mouthy kids like Kells giving them grief. But there was this simultaneous sense of chaos surging through me and it felt like powerful. Rich seemed impressed. Sick. Where did you find that? Status restored. Pidge went quiet. 
I was getting drunk off the buzz of it. This power, which drowned out the creeping shadow, kettling all the old dinner ladies back into the kitchen and locking the door, then slamming my middle finger up against one of those little portholes. We tore through the old drama room and into the year seven classrooms like rampaging vikings at varying stages of puberty. I had some good memories of drama. One of the only subjects I on occasion enjoyed and that drama teacher was fit. We'd all seen that prick Mr Guppy getting feel-ups with her when he didn't think we were looking. He often used to slide into our lessons with some kind of flimsy cover reason like holding some piece of paper or whatever, pretending to give her a message. All the more reason to not like the prick. Getting all the best chicks. Out the old drama rooms and into the year seven classrooms. Then up the stairs and into the science block. It was always a bit scary even back then. It was the furthest away part of the main building and was attached onto the offices next door. All of which would have originally been part of the convent. Which made it even more scary. Kids used to say they'd seen ghosts over this bit. There was a locked door which used to border the two buildings. Sometimes on lunch breaks we'd look through the keyhole and get excited when we saw some run-of-the-mill office worker walking down the corridor holding a polystyrene coffee cup, then grossly exaggerate what we'd just witnessed. We bowled up the stairs, permanent markers in hand, graphing the walls along the way, and went past the old chapel, which had been emptied out. Had we not known it was a chapel before, we would have just assumed it was a small room. I drew a line at Graffin in there. More out of fear than anything. If there was a god, I was already on thin ice. But I turned round and saw Pidge literally drawing a line in the chapel, which quickly went on to become some elaborate tag. Prick. Made even worse by the fact that it was pretty sick. I made a mental note to ask the big man to instruct St. Peter to give him a bit of a shoeing if he ever tried to check in upstairs. He crossed the line. Even if it was sick. We got round the corner to where the old music room was and of course the drum room which was painted black. Some of my best memories were in there, learning to play the drums. So I stopped to pay my respects, which was when I noticed the door next to it. The light brown wooden door with the green knob handle. A door I'd never been through. A door that I barely would have noticed when I attended the school. Kids said it led to the main roof and they'd seen the caretaker go up there before. And I vaguely remember the rumour that Mr Guppy fingered the drama teacher in there, then went and ate a sandwich in the lunch hall without washing his hands. I still had the surges of power coursing through me. Anything was now possible. The door looked pretty flimsy, so I leaned back and thrust forward, booting it with the flat of my foot. The other boys stopped to take notice. I felt it move, rattle even. So I ran back and booted it again and the thing came flying off. I was a machine. I felt like one of those coppers from those fly on the wall documentaries doing a 5am drug bust. These were defining times. McGeezer, the machine. In front of us was concrete stairs with patches of daylight shining onto the upper flight. None of us needed to discuss it. In full McGee's in the machine mode, I ran up those stairs with the boys close behind, only stopping briefly to scroll Luna. But the buzz of getting up on the roof was just too exciting, and sure enough, we got up there, 
knowing we were at the highest point of Crawley. The old teacher gave us an assembly on it once. Could see all the way out to Tillgate Forest in the distance and the airport on the other side. What a view. We made it, boys. Don't fall, bruv. Richard grabbed my shoulders and slightly nudged me while shouting into my ear. I proper bricked it. Pidge cracked up, as did VJ. Pidge was really starting to piss me off, ruining the moment. I recovered my breath and took this one on the chin. <laughs> you shoot yourself, mate. Shut up. Of course, the fun didn't last long. A copper on a police bike turned into the road with the indicator and pulled into the outside of the old lay-by. Some neighbour must have phoned the police. We got back down off the roof lively, through the school and back down into the kitchens like lightning and using the table we climbed up back through the skylight, dropping back down onto the lower roof and jumped off. Pidge busted his ankle. Thankfully, there was no sign of the copper. We managed to scoot round the back, past the lower playground and hop a fence into the flats that backed onto the school again, all having to work together to get Pidge over the fence, like a Cub Scout's assault course. Felt sorry for him this time, though. Prick. Got back out onto the Balkan Road and hid for half an hour or so. We emerged back onto the street and it seemed like we were okay. It was a close call, but we were exhilarated. VJ summoned it up. That was a laugh, boys. Yeah, but you were shitting it, mate. Maybe, nah, a, a little bit. Yeah, but Pidge, you were holding us up, mate. You need to lay off the burgers. I laughed when Rich said that, and Pidge laughed too, looking at Rich until he turned to me, cutting his eyes. Shut up, your tag is so shit, trying to look like Batman. Why is he cussing my tag? Shut up, no it ain't. Yeah it is, and you ripped my shirt. You need to pay for it. You should lay off the Mars bars, Pidge. Fuck off, you prick. He turned around and started to hobble off in a sulk. VJ and Rich turned to me. That was harsh, mate. What? You just cussed him for eating too many burgers. He ain't the same, mate. Pidge doesn't like burgers. He prefers nuggets. Pidge came sulking back over, eyes watering. You know I love Mars bars, you wanker. Mum's banned me from eating them. What? I didn't know you loved Mars bars. It was the first chocolate bar I could think of. This was true. You need to say sorry, mate. All three of them were looking at me now. This was ridiculous. What? Like, sorry? I couldn't believe I was apologising to that fat prick. I had no idea he loved Mars bars. But I guess it made sense he was a fat prick. But why did Rich get a free pass? I'd officially been relegated in the hierarchy again. Pidge had gone from spiteful to playing victim then back again. And it worked. I felt my balls shrink to raisins like my voice was unbreaking. We slowly headed back to Rich's, with him and Pidge up ahead, me and VJ tailing, not saying much. Any feeling of guilt I may have had for our criminal act, vandalising our old school, had rapidly vanished. Despite the hypocrisy of my Pidge altercation, I was high off my new dangerous Magiza persona, no doubt alongside bits of asbestos that were permeating the air in that old crumbling building. If I'd previously thought I was pushing my luck going in and getting away with it, especially with the old bill showing up, that too evaporated, as once we got back to Rich's we were already making plans to do it again the next day off from school we all had.
despite vowing to remain humble about our adventure. We ran our mouths off because next time we had Colin and Granger with us. Mo opted out, he had a better offer and Kells wanted in but we told him it was another day, Lord knows what mayhem that prick would cause of us. Granger was enough of a liability. By now, being well-experienced rooftop raiders, we got to tell them what to do. Rich, of course, being the senior leader in our pack, even though Colin didn't really like him. We briefed those pricks beforehand at Rich's house before we left, snuck in through the fence, this time making sure the coast was clear. We bowled over to the old cloakroom, where I once done Liam Flanagan. Do you remember when you got done by Sam Chambers? Shut up. We started hoisting up the drainpipe like reverse pole dancers. Colin had a bit of muscle, so it helped him getting pitched back up onto the roof. We hadn't even climbed and he was already complaining about his uncle. Once we were all up, we then made for the hall roof. I went first and hauled myself like some kind of LARPing MacGyver and with all of the grace of a massive sea lion doing a belly flop onto his crew. I grazed my arm up on all the little bits of debris, so I was brushing it off and straightening myself up at the same time. As I looked up though, staring in front of me, on the roof, was two geezers, like proper geezers, looking at me. Well, they were young, late teens maybe, early twenties, both in grubby tracksuits that looked like they'd been worn on a building site. Alright, I said. They said. I just sort of looked at them. One of them was smoking. They had a big sports bag that was packed with black stuff, lead or something. What are you boys doing here? Slowly but surely, Rich and the other boys made their way up and joined me, forming some kind of awkward lineup. Nothing in it. Is it? You here for the lead, yeah? Rich took over. Uh, not really. You just fucking about. Yeah, like, maybe. Just like, hanging about, doing stuff. Is it? What school do you boys go to? Like, Wilfrid's. Is it? Yeah. They looked at each other. Where, do you know, uh, Lyndon O'Connell's brother? What's his name, that little shit? Shane. Yeah. Yeah, I know Shane. He's my mate. No, he ain't, Rich. You just know him. Is it? Yeah. I'd never had a conversation on a rooftop before. I was suddenly very aware of what my body was doing, doing this strange lean to my right, fingers tapping on my leg. Well, you boys can give us a hand then, lifting this down, because we've got to go, innit? Where's it going? We're going to stash it. Why? Because we're going to make some dough. Lead's worth a lot of money if you know where to go. Is it? Yeah. You boys help us get it down and don't say nothing and we won't say nothing. Alright? Despite the strangeness of this unexpected conversation, I could still hear Pidge tighten at the prospect of having to climb back down again. We must have looked like a team of Oompa Loompas shifting that stuff, but we managed to get it down off the roof, forming a fairly well-organised line and help them stash it in a bush by the old car park. The white boys had crammed the lead in this massive football bag with all the seams splitting, big enough for all of us to grab a part of the handle and lug it over to the bushes. It was only when we put the bag down that I noticed the white boys weren't doing any of the lifting. They were just smoking. Yeah, nice boys. You take it easy, yeah? 
Oi, we ever see you in town, yeah? We'll sort you out, yeah? Sweet. Off they went. Not the first time such promises were made to me or my mates. I made a mental note. We automatically began to walk back to the building, towards the drainpipe and past the year six cloakrooms where I once done Liam Flanagan. Wait, do you boys remember when he got done by Sam Chambers? Yeah, you didn't, you start on him. He was a pussy. Can't believe you got weighed in by Sam Chambers. Shut up. What do you reckon they're going to do with that stuff? Billy Bridges. Granger piped up. What? Billy Bridges. The breaker's yard. Where they take old cars, they'll sell it there. My uncle does it. Yeah? Like, how much? Dunno, but there's a lot of it. What if we, like, took it there and sold it? Yeah, we could split the dough, evens. Yeah, but, like, what if they find us? They know Shane's brother. So? I reckon I'd take them. No, you wouldn't. Stop being a pussy. Look, we can make some dough here. Yeah, and you could buy me a new shirt. Shut up. Look, let's just hide it in the bushes down by the lower playground. They won't know to go down there. Safe. So off this little team of unintentional thieving Oompa Loompas, rooftop raiders having just hauled this massive football bag full of lead into a bush by the main entrance to haul it all the way back past the year six cloakrooms where I once done Liam Flanagan. Sam Chambers, shut up. It took us all in all a good 20 minutes or so to lug that bag into the bushes down by the old lower playground, it being so heavy. But everyone put a shift in, even Pidge. We had to periodically stop, drop the bag, then rotate the personnel until we got to the bushes. Really, they were ditches that ran pretty deep, so good to hide stuff, and of course were pretty great to play in. We used to do runouts in and out of there. We hit the bag good, and I don't know what I was more worried about. The police doing me for my lunatag. All those two white boys beating us up for taxing their lead. Even though it was from our old school, so really it was ours. We merged out the bushes talking about what we'd spend the money on. We went back up into the school again. Did what we did. Running about, breaking things, tagging things. But we never said it. I don't think it ever occurred to anyone at the time of hiding that bag, that we'd need to somehow go and get it, then transport it to Billy Bridges' breaker's yard all the way over the other side of town. So we just, like, left it there, like we did with the school. We never saw those two geezers again. Maybe they were blagging about knowing our O'Connell member. They tore the school down eventually, not long after stories had got into the local paper about kids breaking in when apparently there was asbestos flying around, which was another thing to worry about. And despite feeling pretty bad about doing what we did, I still had a good time. But none of it deleted my memories of actually being a pupil there. Breaking in months after it had closed was probably a bit like a kid going to Disneyland and peering behind the curtain. Everyone's tempted but you probably don't want to know really. Like most things green or abandoned round there, it soon became another new housing estate and probably got forgotten about. Just hope those new residents knew that they were on hallowed ground. What you got to lose, what you choose.